If you would this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we'll start reading with verse 17. Move to 26. Matthew chapter 5. And verse 17. Hear these words from Scripture. Do not think... This is Jesus talking. This is the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Very pivotal sermon. Not only in Jesus' life, it was the first big uh, talk, if you will, that He gives. Uh, But also in Matthew's book in particular. Remember, you're moving from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And Matthew puts this sermon right up front after Jesus starts His ministry. So it's an extremely important sermon. Hear these words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Notice this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Deuteronomy 5, you shall not murder. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Bless it now to our hearts. We thank You for this moment we have to respond to this Word. We pray that we would in true faith and love. In Jesus' name, Amen. Jesus does not come to abolish the law. Why? Because the law is not obsolete. It is absolute. So you should have that phrase memorized by now. It's a true statement. Jesus doesn't come to get rid of the law and the prophets. Now when He says law and the prophets here, you notice that both of them are capitalized in your Bible. And the reason why is because that's the Old Testament. This is what they called the Old Testament was the Law and the Prophets because it's made of law and 
prophets writing. So in the New Testament, you have apostles who are writing. In the Old Testament, prophets. So when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, what He's saying is, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not obsolete. It is absolute. And Jesus is the one who makes this up. He says, look, not even one little dot. Not even any of the punctuation. Even though there really wasn't any punctuation when it was first written. None of that's going to go away. Not one letter of my law is going to go away ever. So let's go ahead and get it out of our minds that the Old Testament is old in the sense that it is not usable. When I say an old cell phone like what I'm using now, uh, I mean one that I'm not going to be using once I get my new one back. Right? That's not what Old and New Testament means. It's just the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. It does not mean it is useless. It does not mean that we don't understand it. It does not mean that now, because of the New Testament, somehow we're able to live in grace and not have to obey the law. It's not what Jesus is saying. He actually goes here and says, does He not? If you relax one of the least of these commandments. So maybe you think stealing is, is one of the least of the Ten Commandments that we're going to go over. You know, oh, stealing, man, what's the big deal about you know, You say, hey, look, you can, you can kind of steal from the government. I mean, it's the government, right? So it's big and bloated anyway. You can steal from the government. Come on, man. Cheat on your IRS form and so on and so forth. You know, Jesus says, look, if you relax even the least of the commandments, then you're going to be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you do them and you teach them, not just do them, but teach them, not just teach them, but do them, then you will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says something that is shocking. He says, for if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That you have to enter into this world. These guys wore Scripture on their suits, not on some cheap t-shirt, you know. Like you see these Christian t- not like No, no. They had robes on. They were the elite of society. What I mean by elite is they were superstars in their society. In the Jewish culture, it wasn't who could play soccer best. It wasn't who could play baseball or football who was, who was considered an idol. You know, no, not sports, not entertainment. It wasn't the movie star. In the Jewish culture, the best of the best, what you wanted your son to become one day was a rabbi, a teacher, a scribe, a Pharisee. Because they were of this order. Pharisee is just one order of being a rabbi. And once you got that call, come follow me by a rabbi, that was like Harvard saying, full ride. Come on. You know, Princeton, full ride. And you're saying, that's my boy. I knew he was an Ivy Leaguer. I knew he had it in him. It's like the New Orleans Saints saying, come on, got a place for you at linebacker. You're saying... That's my boy. It's like the Atlanta Braves saying, hey, we have a pitching job for you. And I'm saying, right on, Jackson. I knew you had it in you. 
I knew it. In this world, being a rabbi, being called by a rabbi, was elite. And Jesus looks at His disciples, who apparently were rejects to the rabbis of their time. Remember, they were fishermen, not called. As a child is when you would have been called. And so they didn't get that call, so they went fishing. They went into the workplace. One of, you know, Levi's a tax collector. The guy who writes Matthew is a tax collector. And so, yeah, he makes a lot of money, but he's despised to people. And Jesus says, come follow me. And it was the greatest honor imaginable. And Jesus looks at his guys and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you say, well, how in the world are we going to enter it then? By doing it and teaching it. Not just by teaching it. They were good teachers, but they didn't do it. There was something further wrong than just their outward works. It was a problem of the heart. Hear me on this. This is where most people who have lived in church all of their life, which I imagine is probably the majority of us in this room, who who have been to church more than we have not been to church in our life, who have considered ourselves Christians more than we have not considered ourselves Christians. And Jesus would look at us today and He would say, it's a heart issue. You can follow the law and still go to hell. You can follow the law and still hate people. Still hate God. Still dishonor Him through your disobedience. Remember, Jesus always links obedience and love together. You can't say that you love Him and not obey Him. Period. If you love Me, Keep my commandments. What are his commandments? He tells us right here, it's the Old Testament. So, that's why we've been going through this series on the Ten Commandments. Almost an overload. Ten weeks. Really twelve, counting the two we prefaced it with. And I may add one on conclusion. Not really. Twelve is a good number in the Bible, so we'll stick with that. The law is important. And Jesus extrapolates one of the laws here as He continues His message. Notice, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Both places, all it is is a simple command, you shall not kill is how it's normally in the King James, I think, said and other translations. But the idea there is murder. Because God will later tell them the one who does certain things will be put to death, killed. So, you know, you don't have to believe in corporeal punishment, fleshly punishment, but God does. Um, And so, He is the one who has given us this law, this very simple command. You know, some of the commands have explanations. This one does not. Do not murder. Just that simple. Very plain and simple. Do not... You say, well, you know, hey, if that's what today's sermon is on, I'm going to go ahead and check out right now, start trying to plan my day, write a couple notes about what kind of games I'm going to watch today and food. No, no, listen to me. As Jesus always does, His Word is not void, is it? 
No, don't make it void before we get there because Jesus pushes beyond just the outward and He goes to the very heart of the matter. And what does He say is the heart of the matter here? Anger. Anger. Now, I won't do with the kids, with you, what I did with the kids. I won't ask you to raise your hand because some of you might try to lie when I ask, do you ever get angry? You know, (laughs) yeah, we do. We do. I don't have to ask you that. I know that. So we get mad. We get angry. And sometimes we let anger brew in us. For long periods of time, sometimes we hold things against people and they have no clue about it. And yet we're angry inside. Some people live their lives in anger. Some people live their lives to destroy the lives of others. It's tough to think that somebody would live their life that way, and yet they do. You've met people like this. But don't let that infection of anger that they have, that determination to destroy, to kill, steal, and destroy, just like their father, who is Satan, don't let that make you angry in return. That is not your response. Jesus says, love your enemies. Now I'm glad that the Bible keeps enemies general. It never defines enemies. That's a good thing. When you read the Psalms, you can't tell what David's dealing with. He's talking about the enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. Was he out in the wilderness being chased by Saul? We don't know. Was he being overrun by financial situations? We don't know. Was he being overrun by worry or doubt or confusion? or a job situation, or a marriage. We don't know. It's just an enemy. So whatever enemy you have in your life, whatever is coming against you, Jesus says, look, don't hate your enemies. Instead, turn around and love them. That's tough to do. That's tough to do. When somebody is despising you, dishonoring you, when somebody is out to get you, it's tough to love them back. Now, that doesn't mean you have to talk to them. It doesn't. When there's been abuse, when it's a wrong relationship, that doesn't mean you continue talking to them. God forbid that you would ask a little girl to go back into an uncle's house that abused her like I heard yesterday from one of the girls at our chrysalis. Abuse of relationship does not mean that you put them back in there. But it does mean that they cannot harbor hatred and anger and let that center their life and rule their life and let that person dominate them in here. We've all struggled with this. Letting anger blind us. Letting bitterness rule over us. Jesus says, look, when the damage is done, you forgive and move on in the strength of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it on your own. It's not some easy thing to move on. 
But you walk out of that situation, walk out of that relationship, walk out of that sin in the power of Christ and with His love, not with hatred. Because truly, we've all hurt people. We've all dishonored people. Jesus says name-calling here is a type of murder. You say, you fool. Call someone a name. Have you ever seen someone's spirit crushed by calling them a name? I have. Because I was the one who called them that. And I could see their spirit inside. Now, they didn't let on. They tried to act like it was okay. They tried to laugh along with the joke. But I could see it happen. I could see them being crushed. That's a type of murder, Jesus says. And look, it's all fun and games to play around and stuff, but there has to become a time where we're not actually calling people names. We do it because it makes us feel better. We do it because we get the center of attention. But is that really a good reason? No. Little kids, Jesus is very serious about this, about the name-calling thing. He's very serious about honoring our brother or sister, not damning them, not drawing them into sin. So much so that He says, look, if you mess up one of these little children, teenagers, it's better for you to have a rope tied around your neck that's connected to a boulder and thrown into the sea. Now, he could have just said, your head lopped off, guillotined. No. No, it's better for that to happen to you. God's not morbid. He's, he's trying to paint us a picture here. You don't mess with my people. It's a grave sin to draw people into sin. And yet we've all done it. Come on, man, you can do this. Or influencing people, influencing these children, influencing your mate, our friends. If we draw people in to sin and take them down with us, that's a graver sin than us doing the sin itself. You see, there's a social aspect to this thing of murder. What is murder? Murder is just a planned attack on another person to rid them of their self. You're getting rid of them. Disposing. They become inconvenient to you, so you destroy them. Whether that be with words, or with a knife, or with a gun. You get rid of them. This is why abortion is wrong. It's murder. Why? They're inconvenient to us. It's a life from conception all the way to sleeping on Jessica here, my little dude. That's a life. When you kill life, you're disposing of a person because of what? Convenience. Just more convenient. Didn't have enough money. I'll never forget being at a football game, football practice with Jessica, and this lady was, was the same amount pregnant as Jessica, according to her belly at least. And so she's, you know, we're chatting it up with her and stuff, and she said, yeah, you know, I just, I just can't do this whole thing about you know pregnancy and all. And just like, oh, really? You know, 
Uh, she said, you know, what's going on? She said, oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm getting, getting him out of here Friday. What, what, do you, what, do you, what? I didn't even know what to say. Like some just a little surgical, just, you know, I'm going in for a little checkup. Get a mole removed. It's not a mole. DNA. They have an identity. From the earliest stages, they feel pain. And we just go in there and kill them right here in Madison. And there's a guy, Madison doctor, who goes to Huntsville to do the abortions. Yeah, right here, we kill people, murder them by the millions in America. Murder is still something we must say, do not murder. Now, is it, is it wrong for us to know of murder going on and not say anything? Wouldn't that be wrong? I mean, if you're, all of a sudden you see the murder of your neighbor. All right, honey, I'm going to bed. No. No, no. You call the cops. You ring the bell. You let people know. You try to find the perpetrator. Murder is a great evil because you kill even the potential for life. If you kill someone, they can't become more than just their self. They can't have a family. You just killed their family. It's the same thing if I hold up an apple and say, how many apples am I holding? Well, potentially millions. Depends on what you do with it. If you throw it in the garbage, nothing. There's a social aspect to murder, and that's why God says you don't have the authority. It's a little above your pay grade to take someone out. Now you say, well, hang on now. What about... What about soldiers? What about, what about you know, capital punishment? Well, these things are justified. Those people have forfeited their right to live. Friends, on the battlefield, C.S. Lewis gives an gives illustration. He says, because you know, he was in World War I. He actually got injured in World War I. Uh, and he said, you know, if, if the Germans were over on the other side and, and me and another guy shot each other simultaneously... And the next moment we're before God, we could both go to heaven. No one was murdering. You don't murder when you go to war. It's war. It's not murder. You don't hate, at least you're not supposed to, hate the enemy, remember? You're trying to protect the homeland. This is why Israel was told to go to war. God is dealing with a nation, not the church. The church is never told to unsheathe the sword. Never. Why? Because we're not a nation. That's why. We're a people now. Of all nations. And so yeah, two people in war could kill each other simultaneously and end up in heaven together. Because it's justified. But murder is not. Someone becoming inconvenient to you, someone getting annoyed to you, that is not a good enough reason to slander them, to scandal them. Now, some of you have power. Some of you have great power because you know something about someone else. And you can murder them, Jesus says, by slandering them with your tongue. What does James warn us? The tongue is like a little spark that will set a whole forest ablaze. It's like the rudder on a ship that turns the whole thing. The way you talk to your wife... The way you talk to your kids, the way you talk to co-workers, this means something. 
Our words do hurt more than sticks and stones, if we're honest. Some of us still hold the scar of what someone said to us at some point in our life. We still hold the weight of maybe what a parent laid on us or told us that we were when we were growing up. This is a form of murder. Anger. And Jesus says, don't do it. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Instead, if you hold something against somebody, Jesus says, don't even come to pray to me. First, go to them. Deal with the problem. And then come back and offer your sacrifice. Why? Because you cannot love God and not love others. You can't be forgiven if you don't forgive others. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't make this up. And this is something I have to abide by in my own life. I'm not exempt from it just because I'm the teacher. He says, do it and teach it, not either or. So this morning, do you have anger in your heart towards someone? Is there bitterness? Do you find yourself cutting people down with words? Destroying them? Slipping up, gossiping, and murdering their testimony? Murdering their reputation? If you do, the good news is this morning, Jesus can give you a heart of love. He came to fulfill the law and push it all the way to the very heart of the matter. We all know what it's like to have someone's reputation right there and we can destroy it. Or to have them in a position, maybe in an argument even, where we can put the last nail in to destroy them. In that moment, we are to love. In that moment, we are to show compassion. Not murder. Not anger. You can be forgiven this morning. That is the good news of the Gospel. Praise be to God that the times that, that I failed Jesus, that I failed my family, my friends, I can be forgiven. That slate can be wiped clean. I can be whiter than snow. <laughs> That's good news. Because we've all failed. We've all sinned against God. Today, if you so choose to come here and pray, make sure that in your heart you've already forgiven your, your brother or your sister. Or there'll be no forgiveness for you. Make sure in our own hearts that there's not angerness or bitterness this morning, but instead that we have a heart filled with God's love. Amen.